welcome. It's great to see you all here. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, if you want to turn to the book of Acts, uh, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry, the words will appear as if by magic on the screen behind, beside me in a moment or two. We're working through a series here at Liberty Church from this book, this wonderful story of how Jesus sends his power, the Holy Spirit, uh, upon his church, and it transforms them. And then over 30 years, we discover this story of what happens when the church, the people of God, embark on the mission that God's called them to. Uh, and we've called this series The World Upside Down, because that's, that's what happens in, you'll, we'll get to it a, bit, a little bit later on in the story, but in Acts chapter 17, when Paul, who becomes a major character in this story, arrives in the city of Thessalonica, he's accused of being one of those people that has turned the world upside down, which is a bit of a hint of what the gospel of Jesus Christ does when he, when he comes into your heart, into your life, that he changes you from the inside out, that your motivations, your desires, your life suddenly begins to turn upside down and then we're called to go out into the world and see that change come in the world around us. Uh, and today we, we're going to embark on a, a new, a sort of a new section in the story. The book of Acts has the 28 chapters you'd be familiar with, but those chapters are broken down into sort of sections where different scenes of action take place. So in the first two chapters, we were looking at what happened when, uh, on the day of Pentecost, when Jesus told his disciples, his followers, uh, to wait for the promised Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. And then Acts chapter 3 through to Acts chapter 7, you get this story which is often known as sort of the temple narrative, where Peter and John go up to the temple and then we're going to explore what happens over these coming chapters. So what I'm going to do is we're looking at quite a big chunk of the text today from the start of chapter 3 all the way to verse 22 of chapter 4. But we won't read the whole thing. We're going to read the first 10 verses of it and then we're going to jump and read the last uh, 10 verses of it as well. So let me read it to you. Says this from verse 1 of Acts chapter 3. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple 
asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And then we have two chunks of the story, which I'm not going to read to you, where first of all, this crowd gathers, and Peter preaches a message to them, essentially explaining what's going on. Uh, and that because this crowd has gathered, the, the, the Jewish kind of leadership, uh, the, the captain of the temple and the priests, are, they're worried about what's going to happen. So they gather Peter and John and tell them to stop telling people about Jesus. Um, and then we read, I'm going to jump to verse 14 of chapter 4. It says this, now when they saw, this is all the leadership of the, of the temple in Jerusalem, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, there's hope for all of us, they were astonished and they recognized that they'd been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, I think that's just a brilliant picture. Can you imagine this guy? He's been lame. We'll go on to say later. He's been lame, not being able to walk for 40 years. And then he's standing up next to Peter and John. I reckon he was just doing this. When they point to him, oh, this is our friend here who was healed. Just a big... <laughs> anyway, where were we? But seeing the man who was healed standing beside him, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying... What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather to, than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Let me pray. Jesus, we just want to ask that you would make your word come alive in our hearts today. We thank you just as we've experienced these storms over the last few days. It's just a, a, a picture, an illustration of how the power of your spirit can break into our world. That in Acts chapter 2, when the spirit came upon the church, it was the the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And we all were experiencing that over the last 48 hours, this sound of a rushing wind around us. And we thank you, your spirit has come now to empower your church that we can now proclaim with boldness that God is with us, that you're here this morning, that you're here right now. And I just pray that Holy Spirit, you'd speak to us, guide us, open our hearts to what you want to say to us today. Amen. Amen. The book of Acts is what you might call a, well, there are, diff, there are different types of writing in the Bible, and the book of Acts is what people call narrative, as in it tells a story. There are some parts of the Bible that are more like poetry or songs, uh, some of them which are law and commands, and the book of Acts is a narrative. It tells a story. And stories 
uh, in the Bible, they're there to impart faith to us. We can see what God did with real people in their lives. Gives us faith of what God can do to us. It gives us a bit of a guide of how to approach certain situations. We see how they live their lives and gives us some wisdom on how to live ours. But also what, how God uses stories in the Bible is to communicate themes, to communicate truth, theological truth to us, to communicate who he is, what he's like, who God is. That's at the very heart of what the Bible's about. And Jesus does that. He uses stories to communicate to us because he knows how we're wired. Well, because he wired us, but God knows how we think. We learn through stories. And stories around us all the time communicate to us in the same way. If you think of movies like a kid's movie, Frozen, you know, it's a movie about, I don't really know it very well because my kids watched it lots, but I always sort of zoned out when it was on. But, you know, there's a snowman and there's lots of singing and all that sort of stuff. But it's a story about those things, but it's also a story that communicates themes to us. Themes of sort of self-actualization. How do you discover who you are? Themes of self-sacrifice or sacrificial love that you can get from that movie. Or a movie that some of you may be more familiar with, a movie like The Godfather. Is it a movie about kind of brutal violence and what happens in this family? But it's also a movie about power and how power corrupts. There's themes that come through these things that communicates. And there's a theme that takes place, not just in the whole book of Acts, but in this particular story, this story of this lame man who's healed. It's put here, God puts it here in the Bible to give us faith that God can heal people, but also to, there's something that God's trying to communicate to us. There's something that the writer of this book, Luke, is trying to tell us. It's something that they were trying to tell the people at the time. The, the Jews later on in, in this story, which I just read in verse 16 of chapter 4, called it a notable sign. It's the only time you find a, a sign in the book of Acts. And what is it a sign to? What is the truth, the theme that is trying to communicate to us? Well, let's look at the text and and figure out what's going on here. So first of all, we see in verse one of chapter three, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. And then six times in those opening 10 verses, that word temple is repeated again and again. Temple, temple. God's, he's setting the scene for us. He's showing us what this is taking place all at the temple in Jerusalem. But he's not just setting the scene of telling us where the action's taking place. There's the repetition of that is trying to communicate something to us. You see, the temple in Jerusalem for the Israelites 2,000 years ago, it was, it was the heart of the nation. Everything revolved around this one place. I'm not sure our country has that same focal point. You know, Dadam, Dam Square maybe has that sort of, if there's going to be a big event or a big occasion, a coronation of the king or a big demonstration, it will take place there. Well, the temple was sort of the same. It was a place of pilgrimage that people would go to to practice their faith. It was a place of political, cultural, social, musical, festive. It was the center of the nation. 
all of their life in Jerusalem would have revolved around this one building, this one place. All of their religious life would have revolved around it. But most importantly about the temple, it was where Yahweh, their God, our God, had promised to dwell. It was where God had chosen to make his home. Now, God isn't constrained. He wasn't constrained to the temple. It says in, in Isaiah that the, the earth is his, is his footstool, that the heavens are his throne, that God's not limited to one place, but it's where God had chosen to be with his people. You see, in the, if you go back to the beginning of the story, in the Garden of Eden, God had chosen to walk in the garden with Adam and Eve, to dwell with them. And after the fall and, uh, and where the story moves on, God's chosen now in this time to dwell in his, in his temple. It's where, it's where heaven and earth meet. In Jewish belief, they believed it to be like the center of not just their nation, but the center of the whole cosmos, the whole universe. If this really is where God has chosen to dwell with us, then the center of everything revolves around this one place because God's here. That's what they believed about the temple. You can read in places like Exodus, uh, at the end of Exodus and 2 Chronicles 5 about where the glory of God filled the temple like a cloud of his presence rushed in. This was a holy place. This is the place where God was. But we find in this story that there's an ugly thing happening. It says that they meet this lame man at the beautiful gate. There's some irony here at this beautiful gate. There's a really ugly thing taking place. This man is he's outside the temple because of his illness. He can't go in. And he's just been begging there for years. It says all, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem would have known this story would, because they would have all known this man because he went there every day to beg, to ask for alms. He was just begging. No one cared for him. This, he's begging at this place where hey, God dwells inside because of his lameness, his injury, he's kept outside. He's not allowed in to the presence of God. See, what's happened to the temple is it's become corrupt. This is what Jesus said only at the end of the book of Luke. Jesus called the temple a den of robbers. That where they were supposed to be practicing worship and devotion to God, the money changers were there. They were, they were swindling people. They were ripping people off. That they were just trying to make wealth and fortune. God wasn't in their hearts anymore. They were just seeking themselves. And everything that the temple should have been, everything that it should have been about had become corrupted. The whole system around it was broken, was flawed. So what happens in this story when this lame man is healed at the entrance to the temple it's a little bit of a hint here of Luke is saying to his audience and he's saying to us that the, the era of the temple is over. 
They've gone up to the temple and they've healed this man. It's this, this act or this demonstration that the presence of God isn't inside the temple anymore. It happens outside the temple. That the presence of God is no longer just in this building, but it's in his people. That Jesus has come. That Jesus has come to heal, to save, and to transform. And that's what the Old Testament said all along. That all the time there was all these promises. You can read about in 2 Samuel 7, these promises that, that there was one who was going to come that there was someone who's going to come where, where the dwelling place of God would be with him, would be with the Messiah, would be with Jesus. All the promises, everything that was true about the temple is now to be fulfilled in Jesus. You see, what Peter does is he calls, he calls Jesus the cornerstone. He says in verse 11 of chapter 4, when he's before these leaders of the temple, he says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. He's quoting from Psalm 118. What he's saying to them is, now where heaven meets earth, the center of the whole cosmos, the center of a whole universe, the center of this people, this nation, this place of pilgrimage, this cultural, social center, the place where the glory of God comes and rushes and fills in is now found in Jesus. That's where they meet God. You don't need to go to a temple anymore. You come to Jesus and you meet God. He's the cornerstone upon which everything is built. And this story, this sign of this healed man is pointing to this greater truth that Jesus has come to bring healing, to bring life, to bring transformation. But what is Jesus, this odd phrase, the cornerstone, what does that mean? Cornerstone would have been like the foundation stone of a building. You see here when, when they build houses here, in Amsterdam, you can hear it first thing in the morning, the whack of the thing as they drive those great pillars into the ground. It's like the equivalent of that. It's you, you drive them in and then you build the house on top. And that's what the cornerstone was. It was the foundation stone of the house. So what is Jesus the foundation, the cornerstone of? Well, it says in the New Testament that he's, Jesus is the cornerstone of the church that the dwelling place of God by his spirit is the people of God. That Jesus being the cornerstone and on, on, on him everything else is built. That you no longer need to go to a temple in Jerusalem to experience the presence of God. God now dwells through his spirit in the church. I don't mean in a building like this. I mean in us, the people. That's what the church is. Churches aren't buildings. Churches are people. It's where God dwells now is in us. Let me read Ephesians 2 verse uh, 19 through to 22, which we were looking at last week as well. It says... You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. See, through what happens when you become a believer in Jesus is that it's not you join a a club or you, you sign up to some... You know, way of life. Some it's not that you fill in a form, but you, you, you're united with Christ. That somehow you're built in a way that we can't quite fully understand. That we're we're like meshed in with God Himself. That by His life, death, and resurrection, by the sending of His Spirit in Acts chapter two, He unites us with Him, and not just individually. We're all trained to think individually in our world, but the tone of the New Testament is that we're united together in God, the people of God. This is where his presence dwells. When you read in your Old Testament all these stories about what happened in the the temple where this glory cloud fills the place, well, that's what's happening in Acts chapter two when the Holy Spirit comes on his people That's what God does amongst us. His presence rests here. There's nowhere we have to go. There's no pilgrimage we have to do, no journey we have to go on to some distant land, to some distant building. But now here, God is with us. Might not feel like that at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. battled in here through the wind and the rain but it's really true that God's with us that this is where his presence rests this is his new temple is the people of God and that's what Luke's trying to communicate through this story that and the old age has passed and a new age has come that the focal point of their life doesn't have to be this building anymore. The focal point is Jesus and what he's doing through his church. And for us, as a people here today, it changes everything for us. Because what it means is, is that we're, we're the place where this city gets to come and meet God. <laughs> Not just us, many other churches in the city as well, but this is where people come not even just necessarily a service, a meeting on a Sunday morning, but whenever they come into contact with the people of God, we get to communicate, show, demonstrate, help them experience the love of God. This is how our city, how our city meets God is through his people. See, because what happens is, Peter, who says this, he stands up before this crowd and says, this stone, Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, has become the cornerstone. He goes on to explain it further in the book of 1 Peter, which is a letter that Peter goes on to write. And uh, the verse should come up on the screen in a moment or two. And he says this, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are built up as a spiritual house 
to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He goes on to say in verse nine, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, what Peter does, he explains what he meant by this word, the cornerstone, that Jesus being the cornerstone, he says now that the church has this mighty calling upon them to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, God's called us now. He's revolutionized his people to live differently. And that will affect, we're going to go on over the next few weeks to see the implications of the church being the new temple, what that means. It will affect how we pray. We're going to talk about that next Sunday. It will affect how we go about seeking justice in our city for caring for the poor and the vulnerable and the voiceless. We can talk about that in a few weeks' time. It's going to affect how we consider the holiness of God. We're going to come on to that too in a few weeks. It affects how we consider leadership in the church of God. We were talking last Sunday about how in a few weeks' time we're going to appoint some elders in the church and when we do that, we're not talking about an organization appointing some CEOs. We're talking about setting aside some people to serve the church, to love the church sacrificially. And we're not even talking about setting aside some priests because now we're all called to be priests in the household of God. We're talking about setting aside some people to love and care to release other people into their calling, into what God has for them. See, this great vision of the church affects everything. And it affects how we consider the world around us. It affects how we go on mission to reach our city. See, that what in God's plan, he's not decided that there should be some special, unique people who are called to be missionaries. There's one or two people who are supposed to go and tell everyone else about Jesus. God's plan is that the church together, all of us does that. That all the families of earth are to be blessed by the people of God. That his glory is supposed to spread through the nations through the people of God. That there's not some unique people who, who, are, who are better skilled or different. Now there are gifts that God gives to people to use but ultimately all of his people are called to tell everyone else about Jesus and this passage gives us a few hints of how to do that of how we as a people can help our city meet God and first of all quite simply we can pray but we pray in faith trusting in the power of God See, in this story, when Peter and John are asked how this has happened, their answer is by faith in his name. That's how this man has been made strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus had given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. See, 
each one of us, we can do what Peter and John did in this story. They were just uneducated common men, the passage tells us. They were just ordinary people. That's the beauty of the story of the book of Acts. It's just ordinary people, extraordinary God. <laughs> That's the story of it here. It, Peter and John weren't special. They weren't unique. They didn't have some special anointing by the Spirit that's different. It's the same Holy Spirit at work today. So if you see someone in need, offer to pray for them. In my experience, I've, I've, I've never had a moment where I've offered to pray for someone and they've said no. <laughs> it's never happened. They might look at me like I'm a complete alien. You know, that's fine. They, they might not want me to pray with them in that moment, but they're always, they're always happy for me to pray. Don't be scared of doing that. If you see someone in your workplace who's going through a difficult season, you can be their friend, you can support them, you can love for them, care for them, that's all important. But why not just say, hey, do you, do you mind if I, would it be okay if I pray for you? I'm a Christian, I believe in a God who, who loves you and he cares for you. Can I just pray God's blessing on your life and just see what happens? Because this is what we're gonna talk about next week. We believe that prayer works. <laughs> but the dynamic of prayer is not only does it work, but there's a, for us as humans, there's always a vulnerability in it. It always feels a bit daring <laughs> because we're depending on God. <laughs> When you offer to pray for someone, there's, in a sense, there's nothing you can do through that. You're, you're asking God to break in and intervene into their lives. You're depending on him. Take that step. Offer to pray for people. We had a story years ago when we were living uh, in Brighton in the UK. We, uh, we uh, Joe got to know uh, some mums. We all just had our, our first child and we got to know a little group of mums and dads all going on the same journey together of having their first kid. And there was one particular family who their, their son, at a very young age, developed quite a severe like, acne all over his face to the point where even when he was going off to, to nursery at just two or three years old, he was getting bullied by the other kids. So we just said, you know what, we'll, we'll pray for you. And we told them that we were going to pray for them and we did we did that for a number of years and nothing happened. And then it got to the point where their mum and dad, who were both atheists, they thought we as Christians were completely bonkers. But they reached a point of desperation where they didn't want to know what to do about their son, so they prayed for him. And then he got healed, <laughs> remarkably. And their parents, well, the mum in particular, ended up walking in a deep faith with Jesus Christ, coming to know him. He totally changed, he turned her world upside down. Just because a few believers said, hey, why don't we pray for you? And in our prayers, nothing happened. <laughs> Not then anyway. It was a few years later that God moved when they prayed. But just take a step of faith, see what God does. Secondly, we get to be a witness. We get to boldly tell our stories of what God has done. See, that's when Peter and John are warned, told by these temple leaders to stop speaking. They say, we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. They, 
been with Jesus. They witnessed his life, death and resurrection. They'd received his Holy Spirit and their messages. We just, we just, we don't know what else to do other than keep telling people about Jesus. See, so often we use language in the church of, you know, we're going to change the world. We're going to turn this city upside down and we really want to see God's love pour out on this city around us. But ultimately, it's, we're not witnesses who are supposed to go and change the world. Firstly, we're, we're witnesses to the world that God has already changed. We're witnesses to the fact that God has broken into this world now through Jesus, that he sent his spirit, that there's something new is taking place, that he's chosen to send his dwelling place here, that anybody can come into this building and meet with Jesus to experience his love and his forgiveness, his power and his grace. So often you can feel as a Christian, perhaps just not quite, adequate for the task ahead of you you can read the stories in this book and think that's just not me I don't know how to do that but each of us can be a witness to who Jesus is about what he's done in the story of your life in your own heart and finally we get to do to deliver acts of kindness it says in verse 9 of chapter 4 Peter speaking here, it says, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed, or some Bible translations use concerning an act of kindness done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed. See, it might be you don't have faith to say to someone, look, can I pray for you? Or to tell them about what Jesus has done in your life. The very easy thing you can all do is just to serve this city. See how our urban society, the city around us, it's all built on a premise of selfishness. Just everyone out for themselves. Just more pleasure, more money, more whatever people are seeking and searching. And they might try and use altruistic language from time to time, but ultimately everyone's in it for themselves. And yet we're called to build a new urban society. We're called to be a city within this city to uh, demonstrate an alternative life of what happens when Jesus meets you a life of sacrificially loving and serving our city and that can be as simple as when a new neighbor moves into the apartment next to you bake him a cake Joe's great at this she's always baking cakes for neighbors we moved into a neighborhood once and we were surrounded by a whole family from Bangladesh so when it came to, uh, uh, to Easter time, I think it was, we, we baked, Joe baked them some cakes and took them around. And then when it came to Ramadan, they brought us a load of stuff. It was great. Got to experience some amazing Bangladeshi food. But that was a, an open door to begin to get to know them. Just a simple act of kindness. Here's some cake. There's lots of different ways. Practically, we can love and serve this city. Okay, I need to wrap up. Finally, not only is, is now that the city can meet God through his people, the church, but in his church, we all get to meet Jesus. You know, in this story, you might, often in stories, we like to put ourselves into the story. You know, which friend's character are you most like? Which, 
Which Potter house would you be part of? Where in this story, you might think, um, in, in one hand, we're, we're like this lame man that all of us, without Jesus, we would have just been lame and broken. But he's come to us in his grace to give us his healing, to come and set us free, to come and restore us. But we're also, we get to be like Peter and John when they're called before these religious leaders. They said, they perceived they were uneducated common men and they were astonished and they recognized that they'd been with Jesus. That's the, that's the reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus now is that you get to be with him. You get to know him. You get to experience his love. Not dependent upon your behavior, not dependent on what kind of day you've had. It's not like, oh, I've, I've been holy today. I can experience God. I've sinned today. I, I, Jesus doesn't want me today. It's not like that. You can come today, receive his grace afresh. The curtain at the temple was torn in two. It's, it's not there anymore. The access to the Holy of Holies is not restricted to a high priest once a year. All of us can come and meet with Jesus. We're going to pray now, and Joe's going to lead us in some songs of worship. Why don't you stand to your feet? Let me pray for us. Jesus, we're, we've been wrestling with a, a complicated theme in the Bible today, but, but one that's so powerful and so true. That Jesus, you said in in John chapter one that you you set your dwelling place, that you'd come, that the Word had become flesh, that you'd come to dwell amongst your people, and that wasn't just for the thirty odd years of your life, but you've sent your Holy Spirit now to dwell amongst us. That this community, this people right here this morning is this is where God is is that you're here and you're here that we can come and if we're feeling lame and broken this morning we can come and receive healing that you can stand us up to to our feet that you can go and show us off say look at these people that I've healed that you want to do that this morning by your grace each one of us can step in this morning to the very holy of holies, the very presence of God. And we're not, we're not held outside because of our lameness, of our illness, of our sin, but we're forgiven and we're welcomed in. We can continually draw near because of what you've done for us. Thank you, Jesus. We just pray right now as we sing and worship together that you'd help us to draw near in our hearts to you, to experience your love for us afresh. Amen.